Shalom Aleichem, welcome again to another letter from 30 Letters in 30 Days. Tonight's letter is uh, different in many ways from any of the letters that we've learned so far. Uh, it's a letter, it's about education, which is a subject that we've spoken about in the past, but it's coming at it from a different angle. It's uh, speaking about a teacher's strike. When should teachers strike? And uh, you're going to see that of his perspective very novel perspective on that issue. Before we go into the letter, I want to mention there are groups, specifically of the Noshim Tzitkanias, of the righteous women, all over the world, really, on, on all continents, who are making gatherings as a um, sort of a companion to these classes, where they get together and have facilitated discussions on the letters that we're all learning here online. I believe there was a meeting last night in Melbourne, Australia. Last night in Melbourne means like a day and a half ago, two days ago uh, in America, where uh, they got together to discuss the letter. So shout out to Melbourne. I wonder what they thought of our letter we had the other day, which was uh, to Mordechai Rich, and it was all about the yeshiva in Melbourne. Um, also, there's a group in Crown Heights, Anshe Lubavitch and Crown Heights, who have been getting together daily to discuss the letters, a group of women who are discussing these letters, and they're getting together tonight as well. So shout out to Anshe Lubavitch. Also, we should mention that tonight, or today rather, Yud Ches Ador is the site of a very special chosid, Reb Yeshua Zelig Katzman, all of a shalom, of whom the Rebbe once said, if I can't rely on Zelig, who can I rely upon? And his descendants are getting together and learning the letters. They're all learning the letters all along the, all the 30 days, but there's a special gathering of them in honor of the Yortzite, and they are getting together to watch the shir and to discuss the letters. So we want to uh, acknowledge the Katzman family and relatives and uh, in-laws and all of his children and grandchildren who are getting together to do that and also their sponsorship of tonight's class. And this should be Le'ili Nishmas, his neshama should have an aliyah, should have much nachas from all of his children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren who are continuing in his way of heartfelt, devoted connection to the Rebbe. Um, okay, let's... Somebody's saying we're having problems with the Zoom being locked. Um, I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs> someone's going to have to deal with that other than me. Okay, YouTube works. If you can't get on Zoom, go to YouTube. And uh, we'll try better next time. I see about uh, 78 people on the Zoom, so I don't think it's actually locked. At any rate. Okay, tonight's letter. Letter number nine. Wow, letter number nine. Baruch Hashem Yud Beis Mar Cheshvan Tovshin Tesvav. This is the twelfth day of the month of Cheshvan, Brooklyn, and it's written to Chever Hamirim. Maybe you translate that as the teachers' union. It's not not written to an individual. It's written to a group. We've had that before that I've been writing to groups. This time, it's a group of teachers, specifically a teacher's union, and you're going to see why that I was writing to a teacher's union. As I mentioned before, it's about the idea of a teacher's strike. 
Shalom of Racha, greetings and blessings. Bimaina al Michtavam, in answer to your plural, uh, all of your uh, letter, meaning the Rebbe is writing to a group of people. Mi base Cheshvin, Ata. Your letter is from the second day of this month of Cheshvin. I only got it now, the Rebbe says. I just got it. Hine. I'm advancing this letter's turn. I'm pushing it ahead of the line. We've had that before where the Rebbe said, I'm answering your letter out of turn. I'm answering it quicker because you asked uh, me to do so. Also, we had another letter where the Rebbe said, because the issue is painful. And here again, the Rebbe is saying, because the issue is painful. So from great pain, I am, I'm speeding up the response. I just got it now. Really, it should wait its turn until the other letters that I've seen already or I've received already uh, ha have been answered properly. But from my great pain, I'm going to answer this one right now, immediately. Okay, so what's the Rebbe's great pain here? And then there's dot, 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 a blank. Um, the, the, the cause of my pain is that in the content of their letter, the one that they just wrote to me, um, they say that the administration of the, and the Rebbe here, I, I, I presume in the original letter, the name of the yeshiva was written. I don't know if the Rebbe in the original didn't want to say the name of the yeshiva or if this is a redaction that was edited for privacy. At any rate, here it doesn't say the name of the yeshiva, it just says the administration of blank. Blank yeshiva. They owe a certain amount of back pay to the teachers. So the teachers in turn told the administration, they're going to do a partial strike. It's not even a full strike. means they're going to decrease the hours of teaching. Um, so they're not even going on a full strike. It's just a, sometimes they call it a partial strike or a slowdown. Until they start paying off the back pay. In other words, not even the conditions of the strike are not even to be paid up in full, the back pay, but at, at least the, the, the Hanhola, the administration, should start making payments. So the Rebbe says, that's what you told me in your letter, that I just got, and I'm immediately responding, the pain that this causes is understood. Now, I think I remarked earlier, sometimes the Rebbe will say something's understood, or even self-understood, or understood automatically, or it requires no further explanation, or it would be superfluous to explain, and then the Rebbe does explain it. And, and I shared that my impression of that is basically the Rebbe trying to teach us something that should be abundantly obvious, meaning maybe it isn't to us because of the way we're coming at the issue, but the Rebbe is telling us it should be abundantly obvious. And if we read the letter that way, if we try to teach ourselves from the Rebbe's approach how to see things from the Rebbe's eyes, then... The goal should be, and this is just my humble opinion, that whatever the Rebbe says is obvious, 
should no longer be a chiddush or a bombshell or a newsflash to us. It, sh- it should, it should, by the end of the letter, or at least by the end of our meditating on the letter, it should be obvious to us as well. So the Rebbe says, the fact that you told me this, it's understood that it's very painful news. Now the Rebbe proceeds to give four points of explanation why it's painful. Um, one of the four points is redacted. It's not there probably because of the private nature of it, I can only conjecture. At any rate, the Rebbe gives four points why this is such a painful thing. Even though the Rebbe is saying it's understood why it's painful, the Rebbe proceeds to explain those reasons why it's painful. Okay, let's go through it. Aleph, the first reason. Mimiut shois heira, when you reduce the hours of learning, Who's going to suffer? The, the girls and boys. The students are going to suffer. You're, you're punishing the wrong people here. The children are innocent. And there's a blank there. And even if the administration of unnamed yeshiva uh, maybe they did something incorrect. Maybe they did something unjust. Yeah, maybe they are to blame, this administration. That doesn't justify punishing the students. Okay, let's say the, the administration did something wrong. Let's say even they need to be I don't know if the word is punished, but they need some type of consequences. But you're misdirecting the consequences, because who's, who's going to suffer here are the children. Now the Rebbe says, even more particularly, and what kind of punishment are you going to punish them with? What are the worst things that you can do to a person? Take away their productivity. <laughs> you know, for this reason, the Rebbe was against imprisonment. The Rebbe said, if you live in a society where incarceration is part of law and order, so we, we can't make a revolution, we can't fight it, but I- intrinsically it's not, not a Jewish value. Why? Because sometimes you need to punish people, and even in, in, in some cases in, in, in Torah law there's capital punishment, and for sure there's corporal punishment, but you don't take away a person's productivity. This is a fundamental idea in, in the Rebbe's worldview. So wasting somebody's time, especially a child who can't manage their own time. So you're taking away the structure from them and, and, and you're forcing them to, <clears throat> to waste time. This is, this is a, not just a, a punishment for the children, it's, a, it's, a, it's cruel and unusual punishment. The Rebbe doesn't use those words, but I'm, I'm being liberal to, to, to add that, uh, to, that uh, emphasis. The Rebbe is saying it's, it's a terrible thing. And, and it's even more terrible than I'm saying, because as the Rebbe is about to elaborate, first of all, you're hurting the wrong people. Second of all, how are you hurting them? By taking away their time and productivity. And third of all, whose time and productivity you're taking away? Children. Remember, children are in their formative years. So a child's minute isn't just a minute, it's a minute upon which his entire future is going to be built. So when you skew somebody off on the trajectory where they're at the beginning of the route and then they get misdirected, right, because just a little bit is missing when you're laying the foundation or when you're starting to, to plot the course. So now the whole path is going to veer off course, that little skewing just a little bit. So... Let's look how the Rebbe explains it. Okay, so 
you're punishing the wrong people, and especially what are you doing to them? This is not something that could be fixed all the time. I mean, really, it can never be fixed. When Ibudzman wasting time, you can't get a minute back that was wasted. Time is something that once it's lost, if it becomes an Aveda, if it becomes a lost object, it's not like you, you dropped your uh, wallet in the street. You can maybe have a chance to find your wallet. But when you drop a minute, you'll never get back that minute. There's no such thing as a Shavas Aveda for lost time. Befrat, and now the Rebbe says even more so, you're robbing not just regular time, but time of education of children. This is a powerful statement. Every hour of the formative educational time of a child, it's understood that it's disproportionately greater than a regular unit of time, the same unit of time for an adult. Taking away a minute from it, I mean, <laughs> I just got to stop a second. This is just, you know, if someone would ask you, what's worse, to waste an adult's time or to waste a child's time? You might say, well, you know, what's a child doing anyway? But actually, the Rebbe says the exact opposite. The child is in his or her formative years. Their whole future is being built on the direction that each moment is, right now is leading up to. So when you waste the minute of a child, you have to extrapolate. Tzelamad, go forth and extrapolate the, the ripple effect, in this case a terrible negative ripple effect, that is going to come forth from that wasted moment of a child's formative years. So that's the first reason why this is causing me pain. You're telling me basically you're punishing the wrong people, you're punishing them with a cruel and unusual punishment, and especially you're punishing them in a way that there's no way to fix it. There, there, there's no way, there's no uh, reparations here. You're going to rob these children of these hours, you can never get them back. And these hours that are missing, not only you'll miss them, but you'll miss everything that would have been built upon what would have happened during those hours. So it's a real unfathomable korban, a destruction here. Okay, that's Aleph. Base. Base. Muvtachani shegambe nehem butter, shaloi asasa hanholas blank. I'm sure it's obvious, it's uh, clear in your eyes as well that this, this administration, the one that hasn't paid money, um, they have not done Ezadavar Bezodin. They didn't do anything intentional. Like, you're not telling me that they've willfully, maliciously done harm. You're just telling me that they're not able to come up with the funds. Right? Ne <laughs> I think there's an old saying, never attribute to maliciousness that which can be attributed to incompetence. <laughs> So the Rebbe is not calling these people incompetent, but he's saying, look, you yourself admit they're not purposely withholding money from you. They don't have it. Watch, the Rebbe will spell it out. Upshita, it is obvious, and you would, you would admit this as well. 
if they had money in the account, or if they had an easy way of obtaining it, maybe they don't have it in their account, but they could go fundraise. You know the, the old joke the rabbi says to the congregation, the good news and the bad news about the money for the new building project. The good news is we have the money. The bad news is it's in all of your bank accounts, okay? So, meaning the rabbi has to go collect it. He has to schlep it from, from the congregants. So if the Hanhola had the money in the bank account, for sure you know that they would be writing you your paycheck. And even if it was in the, Bala, the Balabatim's bank accounts where they could go to the people they're fundraising from and say, we need money, we have back pay that we have to make good on, then you know that they would do it. The fact that they're not paying you is not willful, it's, it's beyond their control. They want to pay you. Let's continue. Uh, you know that the administration would be very happy, they'd be more than satisfied, to get rid of, to pay off their debts, even if you'll tell me that the Torah's way is mida keneged mida, and you do you do measure for measure, this is disproportionate. This retaliation here is completely beyond. Because how are you going to methodically, purposely do something against somebody whose the grievance that you have against them? is something that they're doing, the Rebbe says, either b'shoigig, on accident, or b'aynis, uh, beyond their, beyond their uh, ability to, to control. In this case, it sounds more like the, the, the latter. That they, they're not doing it on accident. They're not like, oh, did somebody forget to, to pay the teachers? No, they, they know they haven't paid the teachers. It's an oynis. They, they, they want to pay, and they, they don't have the money to pay. So the Rebbe is saying, somebody is doing something beyond their control. They don't want to be doing this. They want to pay you. They don't want to not pay you. They want to pay you. And you're going to retaliate with something calculated and, and, and purposeful. It just it doesn't, doesn't add up. Okay, let's... Uh, reason number three out of the four, is, like we said, it's not here. It's missing. And uh, I don't know what it was. I can't even guess what it was. But let's go to reason number four. Okay, reason number four. Dalad, Ha'ila al Kulana. Last but not least. Ha'ila al Kulana means it tops them all. This is the biggest one of them all. Who ha'herus bashkafas elamam shalem chunachim shalahem. Biresim, shibishvil, tvia gashmis, rebplaini, oila askin siburi plaini, oisim ovel la siriais talmidim betalmidais. You don't realize the destruction you're doing to the worldview of these children who are going to now observe how you are, for monetary reasons, for, for material claims, you are going to be comfortable with doing something that's going to cause irrevocable damage to children. Just think about this. The children are watching and they're taking note. And they're saying, hmm, oh, okay, so when you don't get paid and you have a monetary claim, so then what are you entitled to do? I guess it's totally acceptable to go and lash out, and even in a way that's going to do damage to the wrong people and, and, and do damage to them spiritually and in, in, in a way that's irrevocable. So the Rebbe says the main thing is 
the lesson that this is teaching the children who are watching this all transpire. And since this behavior that the children are watching is the behavior of their teacher who teaches them Judaism and teaches them good character traits. In other words, it's not just any adult they're watching behave like this. They're watching the teacher who was entrusted with teaching them how to be a mensch. And this is how the teacher who teaches you how to be a mensch. This is what he this is how he calls being a mensch. It will, not be, it will not be understood by the children why can they not behave in exactly the same manner. Meaning, if it's good for the adults, if it's good for my teacher, the one who teaches me midas toivais, okay, so this must be midas toivais. All is fair. This is how you can act. So think about that. <clears throat> and now here the Rebbe uses a, an expression from the Gemara. Shetuv yechota vizigud mingad. It's actually um, the Gemara in Pesachim, Daf Kuf Yud Gimel Medbeis, that's talking about one guy did a sin, and the other guy came and told the, the rabbinical court, hey, so-and-so uh, sinned. And then they said, yeah, he sinned? Yeah, yeah, he sinned. Okay, you come here, and, and, and we're going we're gonna to whip you. He said, why are you whipping me? They said, because you need two witnesses in a rabbinical court. So if you're not coming with another witness, you just stop saying Lashon Hara. <laughs> so, at any rate, that's the punchline of a story in the Gemara Pesachim. The Rebbe actually here is using <clears throat> that expression in a different way. He's using it, like, in earnest. Like, this guy sinned, and the other guy gets punished? In the original story, yeah, because the, the first guy couldn't get punished because there weren't two witnesses against him. The second guy was getting punished for slander, because if you don't have two witnesses, it's essentially just tail-bearing. But here the is just saying, it. one guy sins and the other guy gets punished, okay? And like we said in the in the point number one of the four points, that who are, who are, who's in the wrong? The administration of the yeshiva. And who's getting punished? The children. So this is what the children are going to see. They're going to see, when you are in a fight, in a fight about money, then collateral damage doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Innocent bystanders, doesn't matter. You know, you're just going to start punishing people. It doesn't matter you're punishing the wrong people. You just do damage, you cause pain, until you get what you want. This is the lesson the children are learning. Okay. Um, now here's very, a very deep concept. Yeah. There's a Gemara in Yuma, Chav Beis, Ahmed Beis, that says, Shol, King Saul, did one sin. He was supposed to obliterate a Amalek when he had the chance, and he refused to do it. David Amalek did two sins involving Bathsheba, although, notwithstanding what it says in the Gemara, in Shabbos, Daf, Nun, Vav, Amad, Aleph, that David didn't really sin, but let's set aside the Gemara in Shabbos for a second and talk about the Gemara in Yuma. Shaul did one thing wrong. David did two things wrong. Shaul had his kingship stripped from him. He lost his kingship over his error. David did not lose his kingship. Okay, so explain that to me. So what's the explanation? Seemingly, if people are getting impeached over here, so uh, David's uh, impeachable or 
uh, what's that the word impeachable offenses are are more uh, numerous than than Saul. So why did Saul get impeached and not David? I'm using the lingo from America, but uh, you know what I mean. Okay, so it explains. The sin of Shaul had directly to do with his job and with his, with his uh, way of serving, meaning he was a king. And his sin was a lapse of being a king. He messed up in things that have to do with rulership. In contrast, the sins of David, even though they were more egregious, so not only there were two sins, there was quantitatively more, but also qualitatively more, uh, more egregious, but his missteps had nothing to do with kingship. They were private matters. It's a very interesting idea there. What's the Rebbe saying? And the Rebbe is about to spell it out. Um, when you mess up, obviously it's not a good thing. Hence, it's called a mess up. But when you mess up in an area that's your whole job, you know, we had a letter a few nights ago about your Zahir Tvei, about your mitzvah that you shine with, the one that really is your, your shar, your gate, your portal, through which everything that you accomplish goes up and all the blessings that you're getting from heaven come down. Everyone has that special uh, signature mitzvah, and it has to do with your mission in this world. So obviously any error is undesirable, but when you make an error specifically in the area where that was your life's calling, it's so much more egregious and unforgivable. That's why Shoal, he messed up once, and it wasn't so chummer, so to speak. It wasn't so uh, such a, a terrible sin, relatively speaking. But it was a sin that a king can, can only make, meaning it was something that came down to the leader. And when the leader is not leading properly, and he's supposed to lead properly, and that's his whole purpose is to be the leader, that's really unforgivable. Whereas... A leader who does something that's not directly connected to his leadership, okay, it's not great, but if I can say my own muscle, you know, it's like getting poked in the, in, in, in the chest or poked in the eye. You know, like you're getting poked in the chest, it's not comfortable, but you're getting poked in the eye, it can incapacitate you, right? Something that's more sensitive, something that's more, um, something that is special and, and meant to be cherished. I'm saying relatively speaking, each one of us has our special cherished mitzvah. When there's when, when there when there when there's an insult or an injury to that mitzvah, it's much more uh, egregious and unforgivable. So here the Rebbe says, You want the Hasidic lingo? We call it Your main shlichus, your main mission in this world. So the Rebbe is saying, you guys are teachers. This is, ho- this is your whole job is to teach. And you're going to mess up in the area of teaching. Like if you would tell me that you were doing other Avedas, it would be less painful. But to hear that teachers who are supposed to teach and model good conduct are going to model for these children that when you have monetary problems, 
you're allowed to go and just make any damage you need to make until you get your uh, until you get your way. That's that's particularly uh, egregious. Okay, let's let's finish up the letter. Umipne tamze muven gamkein asherzeshe tzimtzimu hashoyis lemude choyol, and therefore it is also understood that this that you're going to tell me. Well, we only diminish the hours of Lumudei Choyl. I'm not sure if the case was they were only taking away Lumudei Choyl, but the Rebbe is saying, even if you're going to tell me that, hold on a second, we're, our partial strike is not going to affect the hours of Lumudei Kodesh, of learning Torah subjects, it's only going to diminish from secular subjects. So the Rebbe says, it doesn't matter. It's very interesting because we just had a letter last night where the Rebbe was really strongly saying um, not to waste children's time with studying secular subjects. And this is not a time to discuss it, but through the years, different situations, different settings, different people uh, called for different things. This was obviously a situation where Lumudei Chayel was part of the curriculum. And the Rebbe is saying, and in case you're going to tell me that don't worry, we minimize the damage by only striking and only losing out the times of secular subjects. That I was saying, that's not really helping over here. Uh, that doesn't really make any difference practically. As far as the damage that this is going to have, you're still sending the same message to the children. Plus, Think about the fact that while they're not studying Lumudei Choyol, what are they going to do? They're going to be walking the streets. They're going to be completely idle. You're going to take responsibility for that? So it's interesting. The, the, the Rebbe in the previous letter was, was discouraging Lumudei Choyol. But here, if you do have Lumudei Choyol and then you don't teach it because of money, it's a terrible lesson you're, you're, you're teaching the children. And plus, if you have Lumudei Choyol as part of the, the schedule and then you cancel it for whatever reason. You're turning the children loose into the streets to have nothing pro- productive to do. So this is this that's a terrible thing. I am hoping that these few lines, limited in quantity, will suffice. I'm hoping that I'm going to get, or I would be very happy to get some mail back from you with some good news. <laughs> I hope that I'm going to be informed soon. I'm going to get a letter from you saying that you're going to voluntarily, meaning until you settle the uh, back pay issue, you're going to do it voluntarily and you're going to Go and teach the additional hours that are missing, and that you'll do so. I love this. Betuv ayin with a good eye. That means generously, not begrudgingly, and with a willing heart. Meaning, you're going to be into it. Don't don't show up and be all you know, grumbling under your breath. Oh, you know, I'm here. Uh, you're not. I'm not even getting paid. No, I want you to go there, even though you're not getting paid. And I know that it bothers you, but I want you to go there. And when you teach, I want your heart to be in it. And I want you to be enthusiastic. Why? Why? 
Because upon this is dependent the success of influencing the children. Such a powerful line. I mean, this, there's a gem every, every, every line here, but this, this, this line, think about that. What ensures that the teacher will actually succeed in influencing the students? The positive attitude of the teacher. If the teacher is excited and happy to be there, I mean, think about it. Think about it. Teacher is not happy to be there. And you could say, oh, you want teachers to be happy to be there, so pay them. And you're right. You're right. In a perfect world, yes. But now what about a situation where the teachers are not getting paid? And the Rebbe is asking a very tall order, which is, I know it makes people unhappy not to get paid, but I explained to you four reasons why it's not the answer to strike, even a partial strike, even, even, a, even a, a slowdown, even if it's Lumadei Choyal only. You have to go in there and go in there with passion, with excitement, because that's what makes it. That's what ensures that you actually influence the children. Okay. HaMechakel Tevis Canal. I uh, await good news, the good news that I mentioned specifically. V'teidechama. I thank you heartily, a warm thanks for taking care of it quickly. Okay, that's the end of the body of the letter. Here's a nun base, a nichtev bitzidai, a PS, a postscript. And this postscript, we could fabreng on this all night. The letter's over. The letter's over. Postscript, that means it comes after the Rebbe's signature. Bechola now, in all of the above, meaning this whole letter I just wrote, loy negati mi pasha locha be'inyan shel shvises meidem betalmed teira oy becheder. I didn't even touch upon the halachic issues involved in teacher striking. Ki ein kan hamokim, because this isn't the place. The main thing is, I'm sure you don't even need that at all. This blew me away when, when, when I read this P.S. The Rebbe could have written this P.S. as the entire letter. The Rebbe could have said, this is halachically problematic, go ask a Rav if you're even allowed to do such a thing. And that would have been it. The Rebbe could have written one word, Asa, with maybe a maramakim with a, with a citation of a source. That's all the Rebbe would have to say. Instead, what did the Rebbe do? The Rebbe explained logically why this is a terrible idea. And at the end, after explaining it logically and, and appealing to the sensibility and, and, the, and the, the compassion of these teachers, only after all of that that Rebbe said, by the way, halachically, I don't even think you're allowed to do this. There's a sicha, Tashinun Aleph, Parsha Shaiftin, where the Rebbe speaks about the difference between a shaifet and a yayetz. A shaifet is a judge, and his relationship with the people's milmailalamata, it's a vertical relationship. Because the shaifet is on a higher level. He knows what we don't know. He knows what we can't know. So we just rely on him, and he tells us, do this, don't do that, and we just listen. And there's a place for that. Shoiftim are, uh, fulfill a function within Judaism. The Rebbe says, Mashiach is going to be a shoiftim. But in this same sikha, the Rebbe says, there's also such a, such a thing called a yayetz. A yayetz is an advisor, is a 
horizontal relationship, where somebody explains something to you in your language, in ways that make sense to you and appeal to you. I feel like in this letter, what is the Rebbe doing? The Rebbe is taking the approach of the Yoyetz. The Rebbe could have said at the very beginning, the Rebbe could have functioned as a shoifet and said, you're not allowed to do this. But instead, the Rebbe functions here as a Yoyetz, gives logical arguments, uh, arguments that appeal to intellect, arguments that appeal to a, a sense of, of right and wrong, ethical arguments, uh, emotional arguments, and then at the very end, the argument based on authority, which is, I don't even think this is Mutter al I learned so much from that. The Rebbe is teaching us. The Rebbe is our yoyetz. He wants us to learn how to think. And he wants us to appreciate why things are the way they are. And the Rebbe could just say, this is my final decision, and we're not discussing it. But then we would lose out on understanding things the way that Rebbe understands it. And the Rebbe's time, the Rebbe writes in this letter, how when you, when you, when you use a moment, it's a moment that you don't get back. The Rebbe's time was precious. And when the Rebbe was an Avol Le'aleinu, he was davening for the Omid, uh, saying Kaddish for his father when his father passed away. <sighs> it's known that the, the, the yeshiva minion, 770, would daven at 9 a.m. and uh, the, the Rebbe would come down and sometimes they would start at 9.02 or 9.03. And uh, the Frida Rebbe, this is in the years before the Nasius. This is 1944 or 45. So the Frida Rebbe told Reb Shmuel, in the Mashpia in 770, my son-in-law, the Rebbe, is very disturbed because the Bacham, they sometimes they start at 9, but sometimes they start at 9.01, 9.02, 9.03, and you don't understand that for my son-in-law, every minute is precious. You can't do that to him. So I don't know how many extra minutes it took the Rebbe to write this letter. But think about that. Think about that. The whole letter could have just been the P.S., and the fact that the Rebbe took extra time to write all the four points of explanation, that's a treasure, and we have to be grateful. Okay, we'll see you tomorrow night.